0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, as Matt said, we're in week six of our Uncommon Joy series, and uh, Matt has just been preaching. Hasn't it been such a good series here, and Matt preached through this series. Uh, I feel a little bit like Mark Hill getting up after Clayton Kershaw this morning, but uh, nonetheless, let me say a word of prayer for us this morning, and we'll uh, we'll dive in. Uh, Jesus, we thank you um, for your church, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your spirit. Um, We pray that you would glorify Jesus Christ this morning, we pray that you would make our hearts pliable and ready to receive what you would have for us this morning in your word. God, And I pray that you would just give us a glimpse this morning into how deep and how great and how wide your love is for us, and just how much you've done for us through Christ and help us to live from that reality. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 13 this morning. It's a short text, I'll read that for us. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All right, so a side note before we jump in this morning, one thing we need to know to frame the conversation is that Paul this morning, who's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, is writing to a church of saved believers, people who have already come to Christ through faith. And so the conversation we're gonna have this morning in verses twelve, thirteen through thirteen is a conversation being had between people who've already come to faith in Jesus. And I wanna say, if you're kind of on the fringes this morning or you're just coming to church to check things out, consider this an opportunity as someone who maybe doesn't believe yet, to listen in on a conversation between God and his people and hear what the kind of relationship and the kind of interactions that God invites his people into. It's a great chance for you to be a fly on a wall. And for us who are walking with the Lord and are his adopted sons and gods by the blood of Jesus, it's an opportunity for us to submit and surrender to the word of God and receive it. Our text today is short, uh, just two verses with one imperative or one command for us. And Eugene Peterson, uh, one of my heroes in the faith who passed away this past week at at the age of 85, had said this, the most important question we bring to the scriptures is not what can I learn, but what can I obey? Okay, so when we come to the scriptures, we aren't first and foremost coming as students to learn facts, we are coming as children to be taught in order that we could align our lives with the life And so the one imperative that Paul's going to lay before us this morning, that we're going to learn to obey, is this. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. That's what we need to leave chewing on, meditating on, seeking to put into practice by the grace of God. But I want to say this up front. In order to rightly understand this phrase and put it in its right context, respond to it rightly, I think there are two truths that we have to hold in tension with one another this morning. In order to receive these words, work out your salvation and understand. There's two truths we need to keep in tension. The first truth is this, that God calls and instructs those he has saved to diligently pursue and fight for growth and godliness. Okay, we're going to put that out and say that is good, that is right, that is in God's word, that is something we need to hold on to. If you have come to God by faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, the call of God rests on your life to arrange your life in a way that would help you fight for growth in godliness, for joy in Jesus, to make war on your sin, to arrange patterns in your life that leads you towards Jesus, to arrange your time and your schedule and your priorities and your hobbies and your conversation and orient your heart towards Christ, to rid your life of patterns and things that pull you away from intimacy with Jesus and numb your heart and put smelling salts in your life that awaken you to the goodness of God daily. That is a call God has on your life, and that is an important truth to hold this morning. But there's another one that's equally important, and if we don't keep these two truths in tension, we run run into some pretty serious dangers. And so the second truth I want us to hold in tension to frame our conversation this morning is this. The command to pursue and fight for growth and godliness is a call to work from your salvation, not for your salvation. Okay? No matter how sterile or Christian we make our lives this morning, no matter how many songs you listen to on Caleb on the way here, no matter how many bumper stickers you have on your car that, that call Jesus your co pilot, which, by the way, shouldn't he be the pilot? Never mind. Um. <laughs> No matter how many Christian t-shirts you own, and more seriously, no matter how much time you spend in the word every morning, no matter how many hours a week you spend in prayer, no matter how good you are at forgiving, no matter how much money you give away to the church, no matter how godly you feel like you are, your godliness is not what gives you a right standing with God, no matter how good you are, okay? The Bible tells us very clearly that our righteousness in the book of Isaiah are like filthy rags before God. He is holy, he is pure, he is above us. And so we don't earn our salvation with our good works. No, we don't work for our salvation, we work from our salvation. So for the Christian, when you strive to be good, when you strive to align your life to the ways of God and the ways of Jesus, you're simply living out the identity you've already been given You are living out the identity you already have. You're saying, God has declared me to be this, and this is how I will live my life. Salvation is a gift received through faith in the obedience of Jesus on your behalf, not through your obedience, okay? Salvation is a gift received by trusting in the obedience of Jesus. I wanna read a couple scriptures on this. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. This is just a couple pages earlier in your Bible. A very famous passage. And the apostle Paul writes this, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So here's what Paul says. He's just laying it out really plain for us this morning. He says, salvation is a gift of God through grace, by faith. And then he goes even one step farther. He says, and even that faith you have to believe, you didn't work for that. God gave you that faith. God made the decision to give you the faith to believe. And so everything in your life that's good, that flows out of that faith is the result of a faith that was given to you, not one you worked for and earned. So there's no earning involved here. It's all about what we were freed freely. The reality that we are saved leads us to live the types of life that saved people live. Try this one on. Romans chapter 7. Another famous passage where Paul confesses his own inability and weakness. He says, I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. Anyone in here identify with Paul here? I do. I do. A lot of the time I do. He continues in verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. This is Paul writing. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What we have here is Paul, mighty Paul himself. Just confessing his absolute inability to conquer his own hangups and his own sin on his own. And we identify with Paul here. And yet we notice that Paul, as he writes this, he's not parking the car in the parking lot of despair and, poor me, I can't beat my sin. That's not where he lands this passage. It's not where Paul leaves us. He drives right on past that parking lot and he merges onto the freeway of grace in Jesus. What a wretched man I am who will save me. Glory to God in Jesus who gave his life on my behalf so that through faith in him I can be set free from the bondage to sin and death. Paul is exulting in praise. And then he pins some of the most famous words in scripture in Romans 8, chapter one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We just sang this reality in the song, Lord, I Need You. Holiness is Christ in me. Not me working hard to be very good, but Christ working through me to produce a harvest that helps me live in line with who he has already declared me to be. We have to keep these realities in tension and we have to keep the reality of salvation as a free gift front and center in order to receive and rightly obey the command this morning to work out our salvation. And here's why. If we don't, the command to work out our salvation will always leave us in one of two ditches. I'll call them this morning, one, the ditch of crippling guilt and shame or two, the, guilt, the ditch of toxic self-righteousness and spiritual arrogance. Those are the two ditches that trusting in your own works always lead to you into. So if we believe that we can and are earning anything from God as we work out our salvation, our spiritual successes will go to our head and our spiritual failures will go to our heart. i want to say that again. If you believe that you are earning anything from God or proving anything to God through your works of goodness, your spiritual failures will go straight to your heart. You'll be crushed. You'll say, oh, God calls me to be this and I can't. I just keep screwing up. I'm stuck in Romans 7 of just not understanding what I do. And I'm just, maybe I'm not even saved at all because I can't seem to get it together. So I'm just, it's that ditch, that ditch of crippling guilt and shame. And the other one is on those days where finally you're able to put a few good days in a row together. I'm up early, I'm reading my Bible, I'm loving people, I, I'm kind to my boss, I'm kind to my kids, I'm kind to my friends, I'm kind to my wife, I'm nailing it. All of a sudden, this thing wells up in us, coming from that same root of sin. Instead of guilt and shame, it's, cripple, it's, it's this toxic self-righteousness where we start looking at other people and going, well, I'm sure having an easy time here. Why well, can't Billy get it together, man? He just really seems to be struggling. Let's pray for him together. <laughs> we'll just talk together about how much he's struggling and turn into prayer. See, this is that guilt. This is that, this is that other ditch of toxic self-righteousness, but really understanding that our salvation is a free gift through the death and life of Jesus Christ frees us from both of these because then I can fail and not be crushed. See, because even if I fail, what am I still? What's my identity? What's true about me? I'm a sort of saved son or daughter of Jesus Christ, covered in Christ's righteousness, seen by God as holy, so I'm not crushed but I'm called back out into holiness at the same time. And if I get it together and I'm nailing it, what's still true about me? I'm just a saved sinner. Nothing more, nothing less, I never will be. Anything good that's coming out of me is a result of God's grace working. And it protects us from these two ditches we need to fall out of. So here's my big thought this morning. One thing I wanna just, this is what I wanna lay before us and say, this is what I believe scripture lays before us is this. The free grace of God in Jesus Christ creates people who pursue Jesus out of joy, who pursue Jesus, who seek godliness, who live lives marked by good works, but not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of fear, but out of joy in Jesus, because they understand how beautiful, how good, how wonderful he is and how much he's done for them already to declare them righteous. So there's three truths about God's grace I want us to see. We'll go through them, and we'll be done. These are three ways I believe that grace leads us to work out our salvation. First, I want us to see that faith in Jesus is always God's work in our lives, not our own. Faith in Jesus is always God's work in our lives. So um, I have a a quarter in my pocket. Uh, This quarter is a quarter. It has two sides. Can you guys tell me what the sides of these, the quarter is? What do we typically call them? Heads and tails, right? We'll flip in and see which one. It's heads. Okay. So a quarter has two sides. I want us to picture salvation this morning as a quarter with two sides. And Instead of those sides being heads and tails, I believe the two sides of salvation are this justification and sanctification. Justification and sanctification. One side of salvation is justification. And justification is a legal term. In justification, God makes a declaration on his own authority over you. When you come to God by faith in Jesus, he declares you righteous and it's done. The it is finished of Jesus on the cross is spoken over your life and you are saved. It is done. God covers you in the righteousness of Christ and sees you exactly as he sees his son. The other side of the quarter, still just a part of salvation, is sanctification. Whereas justification is a work God has done for you through Christ, sanctification is a work God is doing in you. Something he is actively doing in you. All this working out our salvation talk is happening in the context of sanctification. So what is it? Sanctification is the process of God actually making you the holy person he's already declared you to be. It's him actually making you the holy person he's already declared you to be. It's the lifelong process of God working in us to narrow the gap between who he has declared us to be in Christ and who we actually are. It's a long, bumpy, lifelong, difficult road, lived out in the mundane, where one microchip at a time, God chisels off the excess and the sin in our life and brings us into conformity to the image of his son, Christ Jesus. The most simple way I can say it is this, sanctification is God making you like Jesus. It's him reshaping you. But what I want us to see is this from scripture that sanctification is every bit as much God's work in you as your justification was God's work for you. That Jesus and God are actually the one working in you to sanctify you. So look with me at Philippians chapter one, verses three through six, a a page earlier. Paul says this. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, listen to this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul doesn't say here to this church in Philippi. He doesn't say, I'm very confident of this. I know you all well. I love you. You're really hard workers. And I've seen that and I trust confidently that you're always going to be hard workers and eventually you're going to get yourselves holy. That's not what Paul says. He says, I'm confident in this. The God who began a good work in you, who's the one that started that work was God. And I'm confident that he's going to be the same God that will bring it to completion in the day of his son, Jesus Christ. God is working in you. And what he started, he will finish. So I'm a songwriter. Um, I have, if I was to pull out my phone and play some, I I sing into my phone when I have like little lyrical or melody ideas, it's really terrible. So I'll get my phone out and be like, uh, singing to Jesus. And then I'll go back and listen like three days later. I'm like, that was terrible. What was I thinking? This is a terrible song idea. And I'll, I'll tell you, as a songwriter, it's really easy to start a song. It's super easy. You get a little stroke of, Something, a little inspiration, you sit down, oh, I'm a verse in, and you get to the chorus. I have no chorus idea, and I have files and drawers and journals full of unfinished songs. What Paul is saying here is that salvation and faith in Jesus is a work God always starts. He's like an artist carefully crafting it, intricately shaping us to be like his son, Jesus. But unlike me, God always finishes what he starts. When he starts a song, he finishes a song. And so when God started a good work in you, when you saw your need for a savior and came to Jesus by faith and fell at his feet to be saved, God saved you and he started a good work in your life and the guarantee is 100% from the Bible, he will finish that work in your life because he's God and he finishes what he starts. There's great encouragement available to us in this promise this morning. If you are here and you have, I wanna say this, even a spark like maybe you're really struggling, but you have even a spark of faith in Jesus this morning. Guess what? Like, think about this. You are saved. You are saved. Everything that is true about Jesus is true about you in the eyes of God right now. It doesn't matter what you did last night. God is calling you out of that into a life of holiness, but still nonetheless, your eternal standing with God is secure, not because of your good works, but because of Christ's. And you are are saved, God has justified you and he is sanctifying you. And no matter how far you feel from God this morning, he's batting a thousand. He will get you there. If you are here as a believer who's stuck in a perpetual pattern of sin, whether you are riddled with guilt and shame or so exhausted by your inability to conquer your sin that you've drifted into apathy, God is committed to conquering it in you to strengthening, building, sharpening your faith in him. Tim Keller just released a new book on Jonah and he has a quote in it that says, this is such a great quote. If you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. If you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. And I want to think about this. If this is you, see, one of the unfortunate consequences of of living in sin as a believer is this, is that you lose your joy, you lose your vitality, you lose your peace. And here's why. Because when, as believers, we choose to leave God behind, even though he's working in us, and go our own way, what we are doing is we are choosing to live out of line with who we really are. And that brings conflict into our soul. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit calls, the Holy Spirit beckons. God potentially brings consequences into our life with the goal of moving us back towards himself. When we as believers choose to live in perpetual patterns of sin, we rob ourselves of joy in Jesus, and we put ourselves at odds with the God who is actively working in us to sanctify us. General life rule, it doesn't go well for us when we oppose God. It just doesn't, he wins. And so if you're living in this perpetual pattern, God is calling you out of it back to himself. And maybe that's why your life is lacking in joy. Maybe that's why your life seems so lacking in peace. Fall at Jesus' feet. Turn from that back to the God who's already actively working in you and join him in his work rather than opposing him. Secondly, I want to see this. First, we see that Faith is God's work in our lives. Secondly, I want us to see the surprising blessings of obedience to God. Look with me at our text, uh, Philippians 2.12, says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want us to notice that first word, Therefore. What that means is a really cheesy thing you hear Bible teachers say all the time. We're supposed to ask what the therefore is therefore, right? What's the therefore therefore? Well, in this text, the therefore is linking us. Paul is telling us this command I'm giving you to work out your salvation, it's a direct link tied to what I just told you. So as you're doing this, consider this. So I wanna real quickly read this passage, even though Matt preached us through it last week. It's tied to verses five through 11 of chapter two, and it says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Paul wants us to be considering this as we look at this command. So let's think about how Jesus humbled himself because that's what this text is about. It's about Jesus humbling himself. How did Jesus humble himself? Well, pictures: Eternal God of glory spoke the world into existence, seated at the right hand of the Father, becomes man, takes on human flesh, sub- subjects himself to breathing oxygen, to eating food, to sweating and sleeping, to getting sick, to feeling cold, God becomes a man, and then the type of life that God chooses to live. He spends 30 years in obscurity. He's born in a manger, 30 years in obscurity, as a carpenter, being God the whole time. Nobody knows he's around, he's just living a normal life. And then he starts a brief three-year public ministry where he's opposed by the religious elites of the day because they were threatened by him. He's homeless, he has nowhere to live. Think about that, God was homeless. Makes it a little easier to pay rent here in L.A., doesn't it? God was homeless. He lives this life, and then he's betrayed by his closest friends. He's given a false trial. He's falsely accused, and then he's nailed to a cross with nails through his hands and his feet, and he dies. And this is the plan of God. Now, I want to say this. In that moment when Jesus was on the cross, bleeding out, there is nobody standing around him quoting, even though it wasn't written yet, quoting Romans eight twenty-eight. You know, God works all things together for good. No one was thinking, this is a good, this is, I, I get it, God's doing something here. This is a really good plan, actually. No, this seemed like death. This seemed like the religious elites that were opposing him winning. This seemed like darkness winning. This seemed like Jesus losing. This seemed like a bad plan to everyone there. And yet, what Philippians 2 is telling us is it's precisely because Jesus chose to humble himself, precisely because he lived in obscurity and died humbly, that God chose to glorify him to be the highest name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It flowed out of this. It's a counterintuitive, surprising blessing Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. The way of Jesus described in Philippians 5, or Philippians 2, 5 through 11, could be called the way that appears to be wrong, but in the end, it leads to life. Paul wants us to see from the example of Christ's obedient humility that even when it seems like obedience to God is only painful, painful, and only costly, it only seems that way. It may seem like choosing to humble yourself only brings more suffering into your life, that it only lets those who have hurt you get off easy, but it only seems that way. What's the reality? The reality is God is just and more than able to bring justice on the people that hurt us, and God is more than able to reward those who faithfully entrust themselves to a God who judges rightly. That's the reality. When we follow the way of Jesus, yes, we enter into his sufferings, but as a result, we share in the amazing and surprising blessings of Jesus. Choose to humble yourself, you will be glorified. Choose to obey, God will pour blessing out in your life in one way or another, as if the blessing of being a saved and redeemed son or daughter of Jesus Christ that's promised all of eternity with him in glory was not enough already. Lastly, I want us to see that God is always really the one working. I want us to see that even when we work, God is always really the one working. So in verse 12, we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. This is serious stuff. God is holy. We are supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So let the holiness and glorious grace of Jesus make you dead serious about fighting for godliness. But then, without taking so much as a breath, we read verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. This is all we can say in response to these two seemingly contradictory verses. Paul and God want us to embrace a mystery here. Are we supposed to work? Yes, Yes, yes. Is it always God who is really working in us? Yes, yes, yes. To us, it may seem like an inherent contradiction, but to God and Paul, it's not. Yes, we are supposed to fight to be holy, to be like Jesus. Yes, it is always God who's really at work within us when we are working. And notice what he says here. He says, God works in us to will and to act. So that means this, to will and to act the fact that you even have the will or the desire to do good works is God working in you. He gives you both the desire to do it and the ability to act it out. It's all from God by his grace and through his spirit because God is working within us. In Ephesians 1:18 through 19, Paul writes about this power that God works within us. I want to read these verses to you. This is, this is a description of that power if in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked. Get this, the power with with which God is working in you to make him like himself is the same power that was used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the same Holy Spirit power God is working in our lives to give us the ability to work out our salvation. But why? Why is God working in us with this mighty power. Why choose to do this? Luckily, Paul tells us back in our text in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order, why, to fulfill his good purpose. The reason God gives us the will to act is because he has good purposes to fulfill through our lives. Now this one more time, we're bouncing back and forth, but we're almost done. It takes us back to Ephesians again, where Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Right after, we'll read up through from verse eight. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God prepares the good works for us. Now, this is mind-bending, all right? This is, this is nuts. God is actively working in us, in you and me if we're saved, with the same power he used to raise Jesus from the grave in order that we might do the works he prepared in advance for us to do. He ordained the good works for us, and now he is actively giving us the desire and the ability to work them out. Glory to God, right? This is all God. This is not us God working through us. So here's where I want to end. Uh, We were sitting around the uh, breakfast table um, as a family the other morning and uh, Brooke and my daughters go to a, a thing called BSF. They're in a Bible study and they're teaching the kids in this, apparently they teach them to sing little Christian songs, which is really awesome. And Brooke starts playing this song and it, it, it's singing and I thought about playing the recording but it was terrible so I'm just going to attempt to sing it which will be even worse. Um, it said this. Good morning God, this is your day. I am your child, show me your way. Good morning God, this is your day. I am your child, show me your way. And for some reason that just stuck in my head and as I was as I was going through this text all week, it was in my head because I really think that as simple and silly as that song is, that's everything housed in this passage for us this morning. It's the disposition of our hearts when we start our day. Good morning, God. I I am your child. That's who I am. Like, I am your child. That's who you've made me. That's who I'm called to be. That's the reality I'm living out of. That's the reality that defines me. So God, I'm orienting my heart towards that this morning, this day. I'm your child. I'm I'm justified. I'm being sanctified. It's who I am. I set my identity there. And this is your day. You're God. I'm not. You give light. You're giving me breath. You're filling my eyes with sight and my heart with a pulse. This is your day. And I am your child. And so what's the right response to that? Is it to live a life that says, how can I stay saved and still get as much of what I want out of life and just you know keep the close distance where I get the best of both worlds? Or is the right response to that to say, God, this is your day, I'm your child, show me your way. Teach me to obey all you've commanded, trusting that that's the pathway to joy and life. I think that's the orientation of our hearts this morning from this. We don't earn anything through our good works but they flow naturally out of any heart that really understands grace. We run to Jesus in joy. We run to Jesus because he's good. We seek to obey him because his commands are not burdensome, they lead to life. So let's be a group of people that are always at rest in Christ, but always working for Christ. Always giving effort, but never earning pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your life and death in our place that makes all of this possible. Teach us your way, Jesus. Teach us to obey all you've commanded. Make us more like you. Fill this church with greater and deeper love for you so that you can have all the glory and work out the good purposes that you ordained for us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.